Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the uh, Men of Valor Program. I was just thinking coming in uh, just a few minutes ago from the outside world, neither rain nor snow nor sleet nor dark of night will prevent us from doing the Men of Valor program. I wish that was always true, but at least today's snow is not keeping us from the show. Yeah, we like to model ourselves or model ourselves and have a motto like the United States Postal Service, but uh, we have other things that get in the way from time to time, don't we? Yeah, well, yeah, things we have very little control over, like the weather, but anyway. Sure. Well, we've been lucky thus far because we got through Thanksgiving without really any major weather uh, interruptions, but today we do have the snow falling, and this is the 28th of November, so I guess uh, we're lucky to be where we are at this point. Uh, Mark, we have an exciting show topic today that came to us from one of our our favorite loyal listeners, uh, Joe, down in Orlando, who leads a, a great group of dedicated guys who we've had the pleasure of dealing with and meeting with before. We did a Fight of Your Life event in Miami right. a couple of years ago, right. and Joe and his gro- group drove all the way from Orlando down to Miami, which is no short trip. Right. Uh, that was a great testament to their dedication to being there, and uh, so it was. It was great. The many times that we've had to over uh, to um, interact with them. Joe sent me an email. Uh, a week or two ago, and uh, as he leads the group there, they come across some challenges from time to time, and he has brought one to our attention. And uh, that question is, what should we share with our wives? It's that big and general a question, eh? It it, it is. As a guideline, we ask, Joe says, as a guideline, we ask the men to use the Thanos Guide and telling their wives when they break sobriety. And if you break uh, any agreed-upon boundaries which you have set with your wife. Mm-hmm. In referencing the yellow, uh, the red, yellow, and green circle, he says the yellow circle has been a question lately, and whether we keep those occurrences within our accountability group or how much we should really share with our spouse. Some were asking if they should share every time they're triggered. Oh, wow. Every time they're triggered, then they'd be sharing all day, every day. First of all, let let me uh, just react to one thing that I reacted to in my head. Sobriety slips or, you know, should not be shared in Phanos. So in other words, the S in Phanos is whether you're sober or not. And as long as you continue to be sober, then you're going to share an S that I'm sober today. And that also assumes that your wife knows your definition of sobriety which for those of us around here is, you know, lamp, line, adultery, masturbation, and pornography. So we don't think Thanos is the right place if you've had a major break in sobriety to be sharing that. And the reason is we'd like to keep Thanos as a more intimate tool to, you know, do positive and healthy things. So that's that's just kind of an aside to that. Let's start at the beginning. I mean, you know, what we share with our wives kind of assumes, at least in my mind, that at uh, some point in our recovery, hopefully earlier on within the first year, 
you know, we've done a full disclosure with our wives. So at the point we do that, they should know everything about our sexual and sexual developmental history from birth to the present uh, when they're doing the disclosure. Uh, we believe that a disclosure should be uh, hopefully facilitated by uh, counselors or pastors who are familiar with how to do one. And uh, assuming that that is done, and so the wife at that point knows the full sexual history of the addict, then it becomes an issue of, you know, what do we share from that point on? This all assumes that the addict is maintaining sobriety, so that that disclosure date is their date of this is the full truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And then I'd even be willing, if I had to, to take a lie detector test based on my uh, disclosure. Uh, We don't believe in lie detector tests generally, but... You know, at the end of a disclosure, if a wife feels like she needs it to kind of fully prove that the husband was totally honest, we're willing to accept it, although we're not big fans of it. But anyway, um, so that's that. And, you know, in the broader question there, I'm going to assume that the wife knows the full sexual acting out history of the addict. And once full disclosure has taken place, there's not really a need to to take uh, each other back into that history, is there? I mean, do you? Is it common that you want that to be revisited? Well, uh, I think it can be revisited only if. Uh, uh, well, there's several things there. One is, you know, after an addict does a full disclosure session, and as they get more sober, uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday, for example, who uh, was starting to. He's got about nine months of sobriety, and he's starting to remember a few other things. I mean, as his mind is cleared up out of the fog of the addiction, there's a couple of other instances of his acting out behavior that he that he remembered. It wasn't, you know, obviously any major type of activity that he all of a sudden remembered. It was instances of the behavior that his wife already knew about. But uh, I do think at that point, we do have an agreement at the full disclosure session that if the husband does have memories, uh, he will share those right away. Okay, so post full disclosure, if he goes, now that I'm thinking more clearly and I recall some additional occasions, then you do uh, recommend that he says, you know, since that time, I'm in a different place. I'm thinking a little more clearly. I did think of another instance that I didn't report when we did full disclosure. That's the right thing to do. That's what I'm I'm saying. We we didn't necessarily learn this lesson the hard way. I think we, we learned the lesson about kind of recalling things when um, in one of my very early speeches, you know, I must have been, you know, three or four years sober at this point, and um, I was given a speech someplace, and it was being recorded. And uh, in the speech, I always tell my story. And when I was telling my story that day, there was um, an instance that was kind of significant in terms of well, I don't need to get into all of it now, but it was kind of significant, and I and but I hadn't remembered it before, and all of a sudden it came to me, so I said it in the speech, you know, and uh, it was recorded, and Debbie uh, back in those days when she was on one of her business road trips in her her van, she would listen to a variety of different tapes, and by that I do mean tapes, you know, at this point, right? But uh, and she was listening to this speech, and so she uh, heard the instance that I told that she hadn't heard before. So she got off the road uh, at some point. It wasn't a big urgent deal. And she just phoned me up and said, I, I was just listening to that speech. Did you, in fact, talk about that story that I hadn't heard before? 
you know, or she said, I hadn't heard that story before. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. It just it just kind of came to me. I hadn't remembered it before. And it just, you know, that's the way my brain sometimes works. And she said, okay, that's fine, as long as you were honest about it. I, I, she said, I suppose, if you're willing to be honest about it in front of several hundred people uh, and you knew it was being recorded, it wasn't a matter that you were trying to keep it from me. So um, anyway, I, I do think when, you know, a couple has done full disclosure, then if the husband has memories, he should bring those up right away. Uh, the wife, you know, in terms of re- re- rehearsing history, I do think it's going to be a part of the early level relationship where the wife is going to have follow-up questions. And she's basically wanting to make sure that she knows everything. And uh, she's also kind of wanting to understand the answer to the why question, you know, why did you do all of these things? So basically, if a, if a couple can remember that sometimes the repetitive questions about history are generally about, uh, you know, what the uh, the reasons were that uh, her husband uh, started using sex as a way to medicate his feelings, then, you know, the couple can start talking about, you know, what the husband was medicating in the first place, in other words, the feelings, and that gets them into a deeper, more intimate conversation. History can always be brought up if it helps us to understand where we were at certain points in our life in terms of feelings that we had. In terms of life experience, it, t- turns to, it tends to give us a lot of empathy for each other. But I think also it can help us know what core beliefs we've established over the years because of those life instances. Otherwise, I don't think um, just rehearsing history for the purpose of doing it, which a lot of therapists are guilty of doing actually, just continues to re-offend. We've actually seen studies that shows that it, it uh, damages the brain in an ongoing way when you're just rehearsing history just to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. So, As a sidebar, in case you know, we have been blessed with a lot of recent feedback from people who are listening to these podcasts, and we're really, really grateful. I, I, I really can't stress that enough. And the men that are coming to us, uh, when they come for the Men of Valor three-day intensive workshop, you know, they are stopping you and me and saying, thank you so much for the podcast. Um, I listen to them, uh, you know, daily or weekly or whatever, and I listen to it with my wife, and it's meaningful and helpful to both of us. They might, they might for the first time, be hearing about full disclosure. So I didn't want to breeze by the term full oh, disclosure okay. without taking a moment to first of all say, if you and your spouse have not gone through uh, full disclosure with each other. We do offer a PDF product on the Faithful and True website that that is a guide to facilitating a full disclosure with your spouse. And as Mark said earlier, you really want the guidance of a counselor, therapist, or pastor uh, to have this this document, this guideline, if you will, to successfully uh, administering uh, full disclosure. Say a quick point about the importance of having full disclosure. Well, we know that couples that have done full disclosure are are the ones more likely to have uh, successful recovery. In other words, you know, for the addict who's always thought that if you knew me, you'd hate me and leave me, uh, it's really a wonderful thing to have told the whole truth about everything. And if the wife decides to stay at that point, then that really does a number on that core belief, doesn't it? And the wife, if she really, in fact, trusts that this is the entire information, it finally gets her to a point of, I now know the whole story. I know, for example, what I'm forgiving. You know, if my husband is asking me for forgiveness, 
how do I know what I'm forgiving if I don't know the whole story? Uh, so it, I think it's the cornerstone and the foundation of building trust for a couple, really. Okay. Well, Mark, let's take our break right now. And when we come back, I think we're going to more directly ask you uh, for your opinion about Joe's question about what we should share with our wives okay. when these triggers uh, occur. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at faithfulandtrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com Trigger of the week. Trigger of the week, Randy, as we're recording this, uh, we're just past Thanksgiving and we're obviously entering the season soon of Advent and uh, uh, the anticipation of Christmas. And so generally our trigger of the week or trigger of the month would be the holidays. Um, right. We know Trigger that, of the season. <laughs> the trigger of the season. You know, and how often do we have conversations about, you know, the stress of getting together with families, the stress of preparation, the chef, the stress of shopping, all of that, whichever particular part of it it is. Travel, for example, uh, we traveled over uh, Thanksgiving, you know, probably over a thousand miles to get to various family members on the road, that is. And uh, that is very stressful for me. I, I worry about, you know, the weather at this time of the year and that kind of thing. So uh, anything that would make us more vulnerable to uh, needing our old drug uh, during the holidays, I think that would be our trigger. Maybe it's appropriate to say trigger of the month. All right. Well, Mark, let's take our listeners back to today's topic in which we're talking about how much information should our listeners be sharing with their spouse. Well, you know, let's. we started in the first part talking about the importance of full disclosure, and then we talked a little bit about the fact that an addict learns how to medicate feelings with sexual arousal at some point in their life. So if we were to continue that theme into the present, 
I think it's more important for an addict to be sharing with a spouse. This is the ultimate goal of true marital intimacy is for uh, him to be sharing with his wife, you know, all of his emotions and all of his uh, spiritual thoughts and questions. And, you know, to spiritually and emotionally communicate with your wife is so much more important than all the, uh, the trivia, really, of, you know, every time you're triggered. And basically, even though we always do a trigger of the week or the month as we did today, you know, if we're getting triggered, I don't think it's that important necessarily for the wife to know the trigger as it is for her to know what made the addict more vulnerable to that trigger. And of course, if he's really vulnerable, if he's really in the the yellow circle, then I think it's important for him to talk to his wife about, you know, what's making him more vulnerable or, you know, the wife is going to notice if he's in his yellow circle because he'd be in some you know ritual type behavior some zone or she would notice that he's more vulnerable because he's withdrawn or he's sad or he's angry or his ADD is you know kicked up you know so uh, um, but I do think that one of the things we say is if he's reporting every specific incident um, then you know the wife is really just kind of being asked to be the mother and you know it's uh, to get all this stuff in her head and uh, I, I just don't think that's helpful, really. She starts to get bombarded by every time that he's reporting yeah. on himself, and that's just only going to lead to her starting to doubt. Yeah, and I guarantee the couples that are listening that don't hear this as, uh, you don't ever need to report these triggers. What I'm saying is you can report a trigger only if you're able to go deeper with the trigger than what the actual physical event is all about. Right. So let's say you're walking down the mall, and if you're not used to sharing with your wife at a more deeply intimate level, she is going to be tempted to notice what you're looking at at the mall. And uh, she might be pointing it out, and if you're not pointing out uh, to her that you're you're safe, you're sober, you're working your program, you're you're not in any danger of acting out, you know, it might be a very tense situation there at the mall. So um, I think if a couple gets in the habit of saying, when I go to the mall, it is stressful for me because uh, I'm talking about myself now. I just generally don't like malls a whole lot. There's a lot of people. I feel hassled, particularly at the Mall of America here in Minneapolis. Uh, it's just stimulus overload. Yeah, I was going to say sensory overload. Sensory yep. overload. So, I mean, now I, I don't need to share with Debbie that we just walked by Victoria's Secret and I noticed um, the stuff in the in, in the window. In the window, mm-hmm. uh, or if we walk by some scantily clad woman, I don't necessarily need to point it out to her. What I need to point out to her is that the very experience of walking through this mall is is stressful for me. Sure. Yeah. So Debbie has kind of learned that if we go to the Mall of America, we have to have something specific that we're doing there and looking for. And if she wants to go and just have a lazy afternoon of walking around the Mall of America then that's something she may want to do with a friend or, you know, even on her own, that kind of thing. Right, right. Well, I think, uh, by and large, most of us guys don't really um, embrace the thought of an afternoon at any shopping mall. It's just not our our thing, uh, you know. And, yeah. and if you're a guy that is uh, trying very hard uh, to work his program and, and to stay sober, then, you know, why parade that individual by all of these potential temptations? Well, you know, we call that a trigger-rich environment. And, uh, yeah, in the early days of an addict's recovery, uh, you need to avoid trigger-rich environments, and that shopping mall could be one of them. So, you know, the the first year of this is kind of tricky because 
you're trying to work out with each other trust, right? And mm -hmm. I think if an addict is, you know, totally living a life in secret of everything that he's getting triggered by, then the, the wife is obviously going to notice that, that he's kind of withdrawn. So I, I think, you know, a husband and wife need to practice their way through it and report a few triggers along the way and also see if you can have a conversation about what made you more vulnerable emotionally to those triggers. So if you understand, as the, the, our friend in Orlando is pointing out, the three circles, and by the way, we do have a PDF on that too, don't sure. we? Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so in other words, and we do have a show. It, it's called, yeah, it's called The Three Circles, yeah. and, and it is, uh, it's available on our website. If you go to the Faithful and True store uh, at faithfulandtrue.com, you'll see uh, the PDF that's available that fully explains what you're talking about, about the three circles. But I think also there's a show, a radio yes, show. In which we discuss that topic. So they could go to the website, go and to the And find that podcast and listen to that podcast. We generally title the podcast relevant to the material. That's right, and there's <laughs> and it's it's something I've slowly but surely caught on to, and uh, it's saving people a lot of time. I think we even have a diagram of the um, green, red, and yellow circle next to that show, which will make it be a, okay. a little easier for them to find. That's good. But uh, the easiest way to think about the three circles is that it's a stoplight. So. We call the inner circle the red circle. That's the behaviors we're going to stop. That's lamp, lying, adultery, masturbation, and pornography. Uh, the green circle on the outside, you know, that's all the positive behaviors that we're going to start, like meditation, exercise, you know, and, and uh, counseling and so forth. The, the, the trickiest, and, and actually in the early days, the early years, I should say, the most important is the middle circle, you know, and, and that are things that trigger you, things that make you get into your rituals, and then finally the things that make you more emotionally vulnerable. So if you get into the yellow circle, you're really dealing with some powerful stuff there. The outside world and TV and everything that triggers you, you're dealing with whether or not you're involved in any of your own your old rituals. And uh, more importantly, most importantly, you're really dealing with what, what level of emotional uh, of vulnerability makes it more likely for you to go into red uh, so anyway, that the stoplight is the way to think about that. So really what we're talking about today is, and here's maybe one of the most important points, your wife absolutely needs to know what your definition of sobriety is. Secondly, uh, your wife absolutely knows what uh, needs to know what all the elements of your yellow circle are. So they need to know what uh, historically are your triggers, what historically are all your rituals, uh, what historically are all the things that make you emotionally vulnerable to needing your old drug? So if you have that conversation, first of all, if you do that proactively, you know, your wife doesn't need to ask you about it. You're offering her that information. That's a key thing. And then uh, she's going to be more likely to trust you if, when you come back and say, I was triggered today by a variety of things, and I'd really like to talk about the fact that I was really in a more vulnerable place. Can we talk about that? And if she says, what kind of triggers are you talking about? Then go ahead and tell her. But, you know, in the meantime, if both of you could have a commitment to at least having or trying to get to that deeper level of conversation, I think you'll find as you go forward uh, in your journey, the idea of what the actual triggers are become a lot less important. Now, Likewise, I should say, maybe this you know, is something we should... By the way, we got an email about the fact that people would like to hear more from Debbie. Yes. So maybe there's a thing that uh, we need to get Debbie involved in this. But I think that, you know, it's not just that the husband is reporting to the wife. You know, if the wife is uh, 
asking lots of questions or really needing to know or, you know, all that. There's an emotional piece behind that too, you know, and uh, fear, anxiety, there's a desire for safety. So I think if both the husband and wife could uh, learn behind the question of should the husband report his triggers, what is the emotional part of that for both the husband and the wife? Yes, and I think that's exactly what Joe was getting at. As as you were explaining a little more um, uh, in more detailed fashion, this yellow circle, you know, that's been the question lately for Joe and his group, and whether they keep those occurrences within their accountability group or whether they share them with your with your spouse. I think you've made that clear now. What you know, what the criteria should be on on what you're sharing. Well, basically, and, in the group too, by the way, and Joe knows this. I'm sure they all know this. You know, if you get in your yellow circle, you're really triggered and so forth in there, then you better darn well call your accountability group. I mean, it's not an either-or question. Uh, that's what we call your fire drill and, uh, you know, get with get with your guys. So, uh, And I, that's I, why an accountability group is so powerful. Yeah, that's right. And they all know that down in our lives. I, I know. They're, they're, they're a bright group. They're There's, our premier group. They're, they're a premier group. Okay, now I'll, I'll get emails about the big heads in, in our, our group down there now. Um <laughs> So uh, so as we wrap up today's show, then, if you were standing in front of Joe's group, how would you conclude uh, this this topic? Well, let me assume that I'm standing in front of Joe's group and they're having an open meeting where the wives are invited. It's okay. maybe like a Christmas party or something like that. I think my message would be, you know, create a vision for your coupleship that your your deepest desire is for spiritual and emotional intimacy. And uh, in that regard, learn how to practice Behind every trigger, behind every question, behind every action, there's a, uh, there's an emotional piece, a spiritual piece, and uh, a deeper desire of the heart. So, you know, if your vision is, as a couple, we want to become the one flesh union that God calls us to be, practice getting at those deeper levels, and don't get so bent out of shape about the behavioral stuff. You have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we want to thank you for joining us today on the Men of Valor program. We hope that this coming week for you is going to be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at FaithfulandTrue.com. That's FaithfulandTrue.com.